Welcome to cold and snowy Edmonton, Alberta, where the Blue Jackets are getting set to take on the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. We'll be facing a team that is red hot despite the weather here in Edmonton. The Oilers have won 13 in a row. The Blue Jackets will try to play the spoiler on them. Welcome to another Blue Jackets Monday Mailbag. I am Bob McElligot, and it's been quite the... Uh, well, the, the light week since last we spoke. We last did the show on Tuesday because we had a Monday game against Vancouver last week. And since last we met up in this environment, the Blue Jackets have only played one time. And that was against the New Jersey Devils on Friday night at Nationwide Arena. And they lost to the Devils by the score of 4-1. to one. The Blue Jackets' only goal came off the stick of Cole Sillinger. He remains red hot for the Blue Jackets here over the last couple of weeks, and that's why he's playing on the line right now with Johnny Gaudreau and Igor Chinikov. No surprise about any of that, the way Cole has been handling things as of late. It looked like he had a second goal late in the third period. It wouldn't have been enough for the Blue Jackets to, to win the game at that point, but that second goal was waved off because when they went back and reviewed the play, they deemed that it was offside. So uh, Cole was held to one, and he didn't get two, but... The more important thing is the Blue Jackets could not find a way to beat the New Jersey Devils. They continue to struggle in the Metropolitan Division. I mean struggle big time in the division. Now, look, the Blue Jackets aren't heading to the playoffs this year, okay? We can definitively say that. But in the future, if you want to get into the playoffs, if you want to put yourself in a great position, you're definitely going to have to have a good division record. You're going to have to play well against the teams that you face more than anybody else in the National Hockey League, and the Blue Jackets have not been able to do that. They have struggled within the division this year, and, uh, well, now they can't do anything about it. They have to str they have to worry about not struggling playing against Western Conference teams because that's what this road trip that the Blue Jackets are on right now is going to entail, going up against some of the really good teams in the Western Conference, starting with Edmonton tomorrow night. I already told you about them, and uh, how they're playing and what's going on here. They actually are making a signing. They signed yesterday, and uh, that is Corey Perry, who was let go earlier this season by the Chicago Blackhawks. Remember when the Blackhawks were in Columbus, Corey Perry got suspended for violating some team rules or whatever the heck he did. Eventually, they used that to terminate his contract. He's a free agent. He's just signed with the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know that he's going to play in the game tomorrow night. He hasn't been playing in a while. But they brought in another veteran presence. They do it for the league minimum, give him a minimum contract and give him some bonus clauses that he can reach and make himself a million dollars this year. And Corey Perry has been good in this role in the last couple of seasons. Remember, the Dallas Stars got him after he left the Anaheim Ducks, went to Tampa for a couple of years. Uh, Chicago was hoping to be able to uh, utilize him in that kind of a role as a uh, mentor for the young players they have on that Chicago roster. That obviously didn't work out. But he comes here, he joins a team that has high expectations, is playing very well right now, and he gives them a little bit of, a little bit, I was going to say a little bit more, but really he gives them edge and grit. And he's going to be a bottom six guy, there's no doubt about that. But when you're talking about Stanley Cup contenders, these are the types of players that teams like that normally add. So that's a difference for the Edmonton Oilers. After the game against Edmonton, you've got to go into Calgary. Uh, the Blue Jackets, they played well against the Flames uh, recently here in the last couple of years. But then after you leave there, you have to go to Vancouver. And even though the Blue Jackets beat Vancouver last week at Nationwide Arena, it took a shootout to get it done. And uh, the Vancouver Canucks will be looking for a little retribution for that loss, I am sure. It was the first time all year that they had a lead after two periods and that didn't win the game. And then from there to Seattle in a back-to-back, -back, Seattle beat the Blue Jackets once this season. They've been playing good hockey, uh, although uh, they did take a loss uh, last night to the Toronto Maple Leafs. and uh, So they've lost a couple of games here. Remember when they played the Blue Jackets at Nationwide Arena just a few weeks ago, they extended their winning streak to nine straight. They've dropped some since then, but they are a formidable team to go up against. And then finally, the trip will end up in St. Louis with a matchup against the Blues, somewhere that the Blue Jackets tend to struggle with. They, they struggle playing in that building, in the Enterprise Center. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. It's a five-game road trip. The games begin tomorrow. The Blue Jackets will have a practice today to get ready for it. 
Uh, good news, traveling on the trip with the Blue Jackets, Zach Wierenski and Patrick Laine are both here. When do they get back uh, into the lineup? Uh, we'll find out over the next couple of days, maybe at practice today. We'll find a little bit out about that when they draw into the lineup. But they are both here on the trip. Uh, for Zach Wierenski, he's been out since the 27th of December when he got uh, his feet caught up with Andre Palat in New Jersey. And it's been a couple of weeks now, so maybe he can get himself back into the lineup. He had a high ankle sprain. That's always a an iffy kind of injury there. You never know how long it's going to take to come back from uh, that. And then you've got Patrick Laine, who broke his clavicle when he went uh, into the boards awkwardly in a game. But that's been a number of weeks as well. So we'll see where those two are and when it comes to their health. Uh, David Yerchek was also called back up from the Cleveland Monsters. He went down there. He played on Friday and Saturday. He played well, especially on Saturday, even though the Monsters lost the game to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh, David Yerchek picked up three assists. So he went there and he did what he is supposed to do. And I've said this last week, and I will say it again. David Yerchek being in the American Hockey League is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. He had been scratching a couple of games before he was sent down. Get him there so that he can play. Get him there to play big minutes in big situations. When he goes to Cleveland, he's going to be on the number one power play. When he goes to Cleveland, he's going to play 20-plus minutes per game. And that is not a bad place for him to be. I know there are some people that get all bent out of shape about sending a former number one pick to the American Hockey League. Yeah, he's a former number one pick, but he's still learning. It's only his second season as a pro in North America, and it, he's a defenseman. It takes longer for defensemen to develop. It's not a bad place for him to be whatsoever. So if you're one of those people that freaks out when he gets sent down, stop it because there are plenty of players that have spent way more time in the American Hockey League than David Yerchek has, and I think being there would actually benefit him. Look at the other night. He's got three assists in the game. Now, we're talking about a defenseman. We want him to defend, but he's got the offensive upside. He just went in there. He was comfortable. He did his job and got out for now. But what happens when uh, Zach Wierenski is healthy and ready to play? Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have a logjam once again, and I think they would like to continue to play Andrew Peak and Adam Boquist, but especially Andrew Peak because as the Blue Jackets work toward the trade deadline, that's a guy that uh, they would like to – move on from, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I talked about this last week. Give this kid an opportunity to go somewhere and play. If it's not going to be here, that's fine. But give him an opportunity to go somewhere where he can get on the ice. I'm not even going to say where he can help a team or whatever. Just let him play. I think he will help a team if he does play, but just let him go and play somewhere. If you can work it out and you can get something that you like in return for him. So I think he stays in the lineup because – uh, other teams want to see him play. If you want to trade somebody, it's much harder to trade somebody that's sitting in the press box than a guy that is on the ice getting minutes. So I, I think he stays in there. So we'll see what happens when it comes to uh, the defense here. And it, it, it's all going to be touch and go, I would say, between now and the trade deadline because you never know what's going to happen. And maybe the Blue Jackets trade none of those defensemen. Uh, maybe one goes. Maybe two go. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, – Right now, it's all in flux, and the guys that you're looking to move, you want to make sure get the play. Nick Blankenberg was also activated. He's been out with an upper body in, uh, injury for the last couple of weeks. Uh, he was activated and immediately was sent to Cleveland to play for the Monsters. Again, the right thing to do. He can go down there, and he doesn't have to go through waivers or any of that stuff, and there is no room at the end in the National Hockey League for him right now. So get him down there. Let him get back to health. Let him play. And then, again, when that trade deadline comes and goes and you figure out what you have between now and the end of the season, then you can make some moves and tweak some things, do whatever the heck you want to. But right now, it's just about making sure that people are where they need to be, where they can get minutes and good playing time and all that stuff. So that's where it is right now. I'm ready to take your questions here on this Blue Jackets Monday mailbag. Some of you have already sent your questions to me on X, and if you would like to do that, you can do it by uh, sending them to me at Bobby Mac Sports. Uh, some will come on live 
on X Spaces while I do this show and ask their question live if you are one of the people that would like to do that. And if you're on Spaces with me right now, all you have to do is request to be a speaker, and I will bring you up, and we can go ahead and chat. But let me get to some of these questions. The first one is from Mark Carell, the second. He says, with the season essentially over as far as postseason aspirations are concerned, what aspect of their game do you want to see tangibly improve for me, it's overall defense and defensive structure. Let's try not allowing two-on-O looks on our netminder during a board battle. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think that would probably be the area that I would also like to see them uh, improve upon, work on, and get more steady at is that team defense. Let's face it. If this team wants to win games consistently, they've got to have a better team defense. You can't be hanging your goaltender out there Time and time again, you've got to get that good structure. And I don't just mean from the defenseman. I'm talking about the forwards, too. Uh, we've seen it in spurts throughout the course of the year. It was slow starting. You know, the new system that was being implemented at the beginning of the year, it was a bit of a slow start with that. But I think they've adapted to it. Now you've got different players in and out of the lineup. I get that. But uh, that's where you've got to be better overall. So, Mark, I would agree with you. The total defensive structure, concentrate on that. Uh, try to get any if there's still any inconsistencies with the system get them out of your system before the end of the year and go into next year's training camp with a uh, (laughs) open mind clean bill of health whatever you want to say go in there knowing that you finished the right way this year and now you can just build upon it the next john young says always appreciate these shows but my question is what are pascal vincent and the coaching staff as well as the players doing to help maintain morale in the locker room. I imagine with all that's transpired this season, it's been hard to stay present and not worry about the future. Um, I, it's kind of a tough question. I, I don't think that uh, – if I say this, I, I just don't want this to come out wrong, but I don't think the morale is as bad as you think. There is an unhappiness with not winning games. There's disappointment in not winning games. There's frustration in not winning games. There's big frustration in the fact that where they are is not where they thought that they would be, especially the guys that were part of what happened here last year. I think they felt that they would be much further along this year. Things were going to be better. They'd be challenging for a playoff spot, and it just hasn't worked out that way. So don't mistake uh, morale and frustration. Don't get those those things uh, intertwined there. They're frustrated about not winning. But when it comes to the morale and staying in the present, um, I, I don't. I, I think more of them are in the present than they are about the future. Now, there are a couple of guys, I'm sure, that are looking at the future. Jack Roslovic doesn't have a contract beyond this year. I mentioned Andrew Peake hasn't been playing very many games this year up until late. So what does the future hold for him? Um, those kind of things. But I, I think as a, as a whole, I think that um, – that the morale is okay. And again, don't take that to mean that they are comfortable and they're fine with their place in the standings or with the results of games or anything like that because that's not what I mean. They are they are not happy as a group about any of that stuff that has gone on. Daniel says, we have allowed the second most goals in the league this year. We also seem to get outshot by at least 10 attempts every game. I'm fairly new to hockey. What is our strategy on the ice? It's clearly not a defensive first strategy. And why do we get outshot every game as well? Well, Daniel, this goes back to what I was talking about with Mark's question. A couple of questions go here. And shoring up the team defense and being better defensively. When you are, you take away those chances, and that means you take away some of those shots. But because you say that you're relatively new to hockey, I want to point this out to you. Shots don't tell the story in every game. Some of them they do, but not in every game because – I can give you your – okay, so you make uh, the argument about 10 shots. You get outshot by 10. It's about where those shots come from on the ice. If they're coming from the top of the crease or in the slot or from the face-off dots, that's an issue. That's a problem. If they're coming from the outside, if they're coming like all the way from out at the blue line, if they're coming from uh, the boards and not at great angles, but they're hitting the goalie and they would go into the net – If the goalie doesn't make the stop, it counts as a shot. I get it. But it's the quality of the shots. It's not the number of the shots. Now, yes, there have been games where 
that number, if it's 10, is very telling because they have been 10 quality shots, not just 10 junk shots from all over the place. I understand that. But don't always take that number uh, for gospel because sometimes at the end of the game, you look at it and you go, oh, my goodness, they got outshot 40 to 30. That's terrible. And it is. I mean, 40 shots is a lot, okay? But look at where they came from. How terrible was it? Was it as terrible as you thought by just looking at the number, or is it less terrible because of the quality of those shots and where they came from? But again, improving the overall team defense cuts down on that number, cuts down on those chances, all of those things. So that is um, – that's – Exactly. Those things go hand in hand. There's no question about it. Those things go hand in hand. And so uh, you fix one, you're going to help the other. There's no question about that. All right. So those are some questions that have been sent to me on X at Bobby Mac Sports. And if you are with me right now on X Spaces and you want to ask your question live, just request to be a speaker. Jordan has done just that. So let's make Jordan the first one up on this uh, Monday mailbag. Hello, Jordan. Hey, it's good to ever see you on a Monday afternoon, Bob. Uh, I can't wait to see how they do in uh, Edmonton this week. Well, it'll be uh, it's it's a challenge for sure, right? A team that's won thirteen in a row, you have a chance to come in and be the wet blanket on the fire. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Now, here I got like a few questions, but you know, a lot of people have been talking about are Yarmo and JD going to be still like? Do you think Yarmo will be the will still be the general manager, or do you think the Blue Jackets, like, organization will look for another uh, general manager to step in if if this organization, you know, doesn't step up their game or anything like that? You, you get what I'm saying? No, I get what you're saying, and, uh, you know, this is a group that they were talking playoffs at the beginning of the year, and that's obviously not going to happen. So, um, right. you know, it was said right from the time the coaching change was made, uh, that they were going to be under evaluation. I don't know what the uh, the outcome of that evaluation is going to be. I mean, you know, looking from the outside at it, it looks like it could be a, you know, it's not a great spot, right, because of where they are. But, you know, again, here's the thing. If you're going to make a change, it's very easy to sit there and say, oh, we need to make a change at this position. Okay, I, I get that. But then who? It's not about changing it. It's about making the right change in who you're going to get to put into that spot if, indeed, you make it available. So it's it's a big process. But, I, Jordan, I don't know the answer to the question. I, they're being evaluated. No, no, and it. if the ownership feels that, that this is not going in the right direction, this is not what they had in mind, then they have every right to go ahead and change it. That is, I, I agree. You know, and I think even the one thing, like you said, you know, with Blankenberg back on the lineup, but, you know, bringing him back to the Monsters, I think it's going to help the Monsters a lot more as they're, you know, I mean, they're pushing for a playoff spot as well. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, the last time I went to Cleveland, Trey has been, like, he's been dominating. What? How do you see him as a monster and a Blue Jackets player? Do you think you'll see him back in the Jackets lineup, or do you think you'll stay with the monsters for a while? I think he could be back with the Blue Jackets, but I'm going to be completely honest with my answer to your question right now. And I like Trey fix I think he is a great person, but I also think when it comes to being a hockey player, right now he is your typical 4A player. What I mean by that is, he is extremely good at the minor league level. He's probably, well, he is one of the best people that is playing in the American Hockey League. But does that translate to the National Hockey League? So far in his career, it has not. He has not been able to come to the NHL and not even put up the same numbers because he's not going to do that because he's going to play in the bottom six in the NHL, whereas he's playing top minutes in the American Hockey League. But You've got, you've got to bring more of that game in order to stay in the National Hockey League, and he has not been able to do that. So right now, he's one of those guys that gets stuck between the minor leagues and the major leagues because he's almost too good to be in one, but he hasn't consistently been good enough to stay in the other. No, that's true. I get that. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of different players. Like I see that Blankenberg 
like you were just talking about, given Blankenberg and the other guys, like once they're, you know, recovering from the injuries, put them like in the monsters and kind of giving them like a, like a rehab so they could focus on, you know, building their strength and then coming back whenever they're back in full health. You, you see what I mean? It really makes a huge impact where some of the cases where most players are, are going to get hurt. I mean, like you said, any anything could go a long way. But, you know, if you put more of the best experienced players like Boone, and, of course, you got – I mean, your captain's leading by example. That's why there's a chemistry there between Johnny, Patrick, and then, of course, Boone. That's what makes it – it makes it more of a step ahead. That's what we need right there is another chemistry where we need to bring those guys back from the injury. I mean, we got to prevent those, from my understanding. What, prevent injuries? Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> the ones we're talking about, thanks, Jordan. The ones you're talking about, though, are, are frequent, right? I mean, sliding into the boards and breaking your collarbone or taking a puck in the jaw in front of the net uh, that gets deflected. The puck got deflected before it hit Boone. Um, so that's, yeah, that those you can't prevent because those are just freak injuries. They just happen. Where Jordan had me a little confused is chemistry, Johnny, Patrick, Boone. No, no, there's not. That is, and I think I touched on that last week. You know, Johnny Gaudreau right now is getting a lot more out of being on the line with uh, Igor Chinikov on the other wing than Patrick Laine. He got more out of being on the line with Justin Danforth more than Patrick Laine. That chemistry just isn't there. I, I think it's fair to say you know, when Patrick comes back, does he play with Johnny Gaudreau? I don't think so. Uh, is he even on the same power play unit as Johnny Gaudreau? I would argue not to have that happen again because it just doesn't work. There is no chemistry with that. Yes, as Jordan said, Boone Jenner leads by example. But, you know, as far as chemistry with the other two guys, and uh, I mean, Boone... Cole Sillinger is playing really well right now, getting the opportunity to play with Johnny Gaudreau. Boone didn't come back from injury and bang, go right back on Johnny's line. And again, I agree with that. 100%. I agree with that. Reward the guy that's playing well. Cole Sillinger has been this team's best player for at least the last two weeks, maybe three. So you reward him. And although I say reward, that's not really fair because he's earned the spot that he has. It's not like... Uh, you know, you're giving him a Scooby snack because he did something well. He's earned it. When you look around and you say, okay, who should be drawing top minutes and who should be playing with Johnny Gaudreau? Well, it's not like there's a competition. It's one guy right now. One guy. So that's where he is. But, you know, Patrick Laine, if he comes back on this road trip, where does he go? You know, last week somebody asked me, where does he go back in the lineup? At that time, Emil Bemstrom was in the lineup. So that was an easy one. Well, he goes where Emil Bemstrom is. Emil Bemstrom is now on the outside looking in. He's a, he's a scratch. He's an extra because other people are back in the lineup. Sean Corrali has come back into the lineup now. So, you know, what do you uh, – where are you going to put Patrick Line? Who are you going to take out to put in Patrick Line now? It's going to be somebody, right? But that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy decision on who that somebody is. Let's go back to X and uh, Marcus. Marcus says the Cincinnati Reds are doing their caravan this week to promote the upcoming season. Has the Blue Jackets marketing team ever considered something like this? Uh, media, front office, current players, prospects at every stop, sell ticket plans. Uh, the Blue Jackets market in Cincinnati is pretty thin. Just a thought. Well, Marcus, there there are off-season events that the Blue Jackets do and, you know, get out to a lot of community festivals and, and that kind of thing. I know, especially in years past, there's been a lot of the, uh, you know, they go out and they put up the street hockey rink and all that stuff. Um, it's not it's not the same as exactly what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about with the Reds caravan, and they bring in players before they go to spring training and they get out and they do that. Um, you know, me being... Uh, an old-time baseball guy who remembers those winter caravans. 
I am quick to say, I think that would be a great idea. I, I think if we could get guys in here before the season starts and do that, it would be great. Maybe it would, you know, but there are a lot of, I guess there's a lot of inner working to it that I couldn't even tell you about, you know, um, how to get the players in here early, uh, what markets are the best to go to. And, you know, obviously Cincinnati and Cleveland would be no brainers to me. I would, I would target Cincinnati, Cleveland, Dayton, uh, right away. And then, you know, wherever else you want to stop between any of those. But again, I'm not, I'm not a bona fide marketing guy. I don't have a marketing degree, so I don't know, but it's, the fun part of it is to see players, you know, especially when when baseball does these kind of things, you, you see players in small towns and places that you would likely not see them, which makes it uh, very appealing. So, yeah, I, the idea is great. I don't know if that's something that's being talked about, has been talked about, or any of that stuff, but the idea itself on the surface is, uh, I think, certainly a good one. I could see me traveling around to all the hot spots of well, we do sometimes, we, and we haven't done enough of this in the past, or, or in the um, hell, I just said that wrong. We've done it in the past. We haven't. I don't think we've done enough in the, in the uh, recent past to get out to some of the markets where our our affiliates are, you know, and get to the get to the far edges of the state and stuff like that. So I need to put that on my personal list, Marcus, for this upcoming off season. Scotty J says, how long will the front office continue to pay these big contract veterans who are underperforming or consistently hurt? At what point do we trade one or two of them to free up cap and get younger or future assets? Well, how long do they continue to pay them until their contract's up? Uh, as far as uh, trading them to free up cap space and get younger assets, I think that's something that could be looked at during the offseason. Remember, when you're talking about big-ticket guys, the chances of them traded being traded in season are very slim. So um, I think that's more off-season stuff than it is in-season stuff. Again, if you're with me live on X Spaces and you want to ask your question, all you have to do is request to be a speaker. I can bring you up and you can ask that question. Um, Lauren on X says, I've never been to an all-star event, but enjoy watching them on TV. It must be great to attend in person. Do you have a favorite skill competition and which do you enjoy more, the skills competition or the all-star game? Well, let's go in order here. Do I have a favorite skills competition? I think the accuracy shooting when they shoot at the targets. I I do find that to be fascinating how some guys can just rip off shots and nail those things in record time. I I think that is fun to watch. So I enjoy that. You know, so I some of the newfangled stuff that they've done in the past couple of years to try to be different is some's okay and some is not. The accuracy shooting for me is just a an old standard where you get guys that can pick, pick their spots and just rip it, and I love that. I, I love watching that and love watching them compete to get it done, uh, who can get it done the quickest. So that's my favorite one. And what do I enjoy watching more, the skills competition or the all-star game? Before it went to the three-on-three -three format, I would have said hands down the skill competition because the game itself was not fun. I mean, there's no defense, and the final score would be 12 to 11. So, to me, that was just it, – it wasn't as exciting to me. Now, the three-on-three three is a little bit different because whereas you would think there is going to be a lot of offense, uh, sometimes there just isn't. <laughs> sometimes, you know, uh, teams are concentrating so much on trying to make a pretty play and hit the net, and then they turn the puck over, and the other team has an opportunity. So, I haven't minded the three-on-three three play. I, I've liked it a lot better than the old five-on-five five where nobody hit anybody. and uh, Because now they don't even pretend, right? I mean, in three-on-three, three, you're not going to hit anybody. You, you basically can't unless they're pinned up against the boards with the puck. Because if you go out of your lane to hit somebody and you miss, you've just created an odd man rush back the other way. So you have to be more responsible three-on-three. Three, and, and like I said, nobody's going to light anybody up in that format. It's just all going to be free flow and skating and looking to capitalize when you get opportunities. So 
in some ways, I guess I'm saying, to me, that's more real. Because the five-on-five where you don't even touch the other guy, that's not real. So uh, the three-on-three for me has been a lot better. It's been a lot more entertaining to watch. Uh, What else do we have here? Donald says, what camp are you in? Uh Uh-oh. I didn't read the rest of this, so let's find out. Donald says, make a blockbuster move for veteran talent this summer and be playoff or bust next year, or be patient and let the young talent develop and look to be a playoff bubble team next season. Lose-lose situation for Yarmo at this point, uh, says Donald. I'm not saying that. Donald's saying that. Which one would I do? Would I try to make big moves this summer and be playoffs or bust? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would take option two. I'd be patient, let the young talent develop, and look to be a playoff bubble team next season. That doesn't mean I wouldn't look to add some more veteran experience in the offseason. I still don't think this team has enough of that. I just don't. I think it's it's too young in many cases. Yes, you have Eric Branson. Yes, you have Sean Corrali. And, and you've got Boone Jenner. But when I'm talking about more grizzled veterans, that's a good Branson for sure. Corrali, I'm going to put in that because, you know, he had all those years with the Boston Bruins. He learned from some really great guys in Boston, learned leadership, learned winning, all those things. So beyond that, I mean, it's pretty thin. So I would look to to add there if uh, if I was looking to add anything. I'd, I'd look to add some more experience there. But again, it's it's not just number of games played and it's not just cups won or anything like that. You've got to look more into it. You really have to do your homework. Make sure you're getting the right guy. Make sure you're getting the right character. Make sure that it's somebody that's going to be able to not just going to be able to help your younger players along, that wants to help your younger players along, that feels it's important to be that leader, that guy that uh, they want to emulate. I think that's that's important. I'm, some guys, they don't want that. Some guys just want to play. Some guys just want to get paid, and they want to play, and they want to win, but if they don't win and they're getting paid, that's okay. That's not the guy I want. I want the guy that wants to win and wants everybody around them to get better and is willing to do whatever it takes to make those guys around him better. Now, where do you find those players? you got to do your homework, and you have to uh, you have to make it happen. You, you can't just can't just grab names out of a hat, right? Simple as that. Uh, let me see here. Um, Daniel Weaver, any thought or discussions about a potential replacement for Jeff Rimmer, or will it come to light at the end of the season? Um, no, haven't heard anything, Daniel. I know they're going through a process to you know, see who's interested and all of that stuff. I think that would be more of a end-of-the-season thing. And then uh, Daniel said, would you consider it if offered? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I would. But, you know, I'm like everybody else. We're in competition see what happens and we'll find out when we find out and there's like for me there's no need to lose sleep over it I mean I'm going to keep doing the job that I'm doing I love the job I'm doing I love being with you guys and if the job changes and requires something different in the future that is that's fantastic and you know a lot of other guys feel the same way so we'll see what happens when it is all said and done simple as that Uh, again if you're live on uh, x spaces with me right now You can uh, just request to be a speaker. You can be on the show. You can ask your question live. Uh, The Blue Jackets getting set for uh, a practice here in Edmonton today. I saw, as I was getting ready to do this show, I saw on X that uh, Connor McDavid was out 20 minutes ahead of practice taking shots today. I don't know why that's newsworthy. I would assume that a player like Connor McDavid does that all the time. (laughs) That's how you get better. I mean, is it? Should I put out every single day that Boone Jenner stays out an extra 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is, tipping shots at the end of practice? I I could uh, because it would be happening. But anyway, uh, this Edmonton Oilers team, though, they're red hot right now. You know, they made a coaching change earlier in the year, and they have just been on a roll. 13 straight wins for them. Uh, Winning seems easy right now, but 
eventually you're going to stub your toe and that streak is going to come to an end. Will it be tomorrow night? It'll be interesting to see if the Blue Jackets can do it because the Blue Jackets, they got a big win here last year, if you recall. Um, Kent Johnson scored in overtime to get the Blue Jackets the victory against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Other years, like I know since I've been here, whether it's been the old building out at Rexall Place or whether it's been here at the new uh, Rogers Place, it has been um, it's been a tough go for the Blue Jackets against the Edmonton Oilers. But again, last year was a, a nice big win, so hopefully they can repeat that. They can do it all over again, and and start the road trip with a win. That's what would be nice because it's a five game trip, and you want to uh, you want to get it going just the right way. And we'll see if they are able to do that tomorrow night. I've got the Cincy Jackets fan who uh, wants to come on the show. Hello, how are you? Good, Bob. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Thanks for uh, accepting my request to speak here. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on the game against New Jersey last week. Cole Cylinder scored that first goal. Then he got a second. Not soon after that, but it was taken away because the play was called offsides. However, they had been in the offensive zone for I think it was like 26 seconds what is your opinion on that would you ever consider a rule change where if you were already past the blue line within maybe 25 seconds or even going 30 I, I, I there were several times I think if not last season season before where the Jackets had several goals taken away when they were already in the zone um, that's my first take to see what you think about that and then the other thing um, we now have a professional women's uh, league. I think there are six teams, and they have a different rule than the NHL uh, when it comes to penalty box. They call it jailbreak. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's where when a team scores when they're short-handed, on the penalty kill. Then the penalty's over. Right. Penalty's over, right. and and then the player can jailbreak out, out of the penalty box. Right. Would you consider that in the NHL as well? Just just the curiosity. Yeah, I, that would, um, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of all right with it. I'm such an old, I, I've realized now as I watch guys that are retiring around the league, whether they're, whether they're players or executives or whatever, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm getting long in the tooth and now I'm becoming the dinosaur. So I'm, I'm reluctant to change, but I think I could live with that one. I mean, if you score shorthanded, you've accomplished something. And rather than have to go out there and finish it, uh, it would be kind of nice. Actually, I think more teams would put um, – there would be a lot more emphasis on trying to score shorthanded goals if you could end that penalty. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it would actually add a little bit more excitement, I think, in the game. But then again, you know, I, I'm like you too. I'm I'm that old time hockey guy. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of many rule changes. I like things staying kind of the way they are. I'm curmudgeon. Um, yeah, but, but I guess if you think about it, okay. So let's let's think about it that way, though. Instead of just watching teams get the puck and whip it out of their zone and dump it down the ice so that you can just reset and make the other team waste another. 10, 15 seconds to go back and get it. Um, now you're talking about maybe getting it and trying to break out shorthanded or, or trying to put pressure on, which could potentially add a level of excitement. You know, there's there's also been talk about doing away with the uh, ability to ice the puck when you're on the penalty kill uh, so that you can't just whip it all the way down the ice uh, without right. consequence. I think yeah. I so if you were to ask me to choose between those two things, whether you eliminate the icing on the power play or um, you allow the jailbreak scenario that you talked about when you score shorthanded, I'd take the scoring shorthanded and the penalties over. If I if I were to choose between those two potential changes that you could make on it, because yeah, sometimes you do get in the zone and then guys will just pass it around and and dump it behind the net. That would turn into. Uh, hey, let's get a third guy up here and see if we can't get this shorthanded goal and, and end this thing 30 seconds in instead of having to kill off another minute and a half. So I, I, think there's, I think there's some potential to that. I want to go back to the first one that you asked me, though. So you're saying if you're in the zone for X amount of seconds, 
if the puck comes out, you should have the ability to go back in without an offside. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. right. What, what do you? What would your uh, duration of time be? What do you think that? What do you think a fair duration of time would be after you've entered the zone? You I, know, 15 seconds, 20, 30. No, I, I think to be completely honest with you on this one. I would not be in favor of that whatsoever. And there, <laughs> here's my biggest reason. Now, listen to me here. This is a game that novice fans have a hard time understanding. As I always tell people, there are two rules you need to understand before you can really watch the game and enjoy watching the game. And the first one is icing, and the second is offside. Offside. Right? Yeah. Yep. Once you yep. understand those two, now you got it. So now, if you're going to tell me, okay, offside, however – if they're in there for this amount of seconds, I think it just adds another layer of complexity to it. Uh, it becomes more complex for the officials, for the players, for the fans. And I no, I just wouldn't be in favor of that one. I think after you get hemmed in there, and maybe it's because I've seen the Blue Jackets be trapped in that zone so many times this year. Once it gets beyond yeah. the blue line. Well, yeah, up. I guess it could work either way. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. – you're, you're – the discussion has merit. I just think it adds way too much confusion to what's already going on, you know? Yeah, I guess, you know, goal scored and then go back for review. And if it's like 42 seconds, they, they look at the shot clock. And then if there's a coach's challenge, the challenge is then no avoid and the goal's still good if it's after a certain yeah, amount and, of time. And who's keeping and, the time? I mean, who's hitting that reset every time? You know what I mean? It's I, I just think it adds a lot of things you really don't need. I think it's more yeah. it's much more simple the way it is. And I understand. I understand what you're saying because it's so frustrating when you're in there for 25 seconds and then the puck just slides out by a couple of inches and now that ruins your whole thing and you've got to go back and reset. Maybe you get back in and maybe you don't. I get it. But I just think yeah. it just makes it so, oh. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about it. I'd be lost. Doing a game, I'd be lost. I'd be a mess until I got used to it. <laughs> well thanks for your thoughts i appreciate it hey thanks for coming on i appreciate that uh, very much always good to have discussion like that because just because i don't like change doesn't mean that we can't talk about change because sometimes there are some good ideas and if you never discuss ideas how can you ever figure out what's good and what's bad but again i'm getting to the point in my life where i'm like don't touch it let it go leave it be you know, eliminating the red line. How many years has it been since that's happened with the, they took the two line offside pass out of the game. You want to talk complexity I, there. That was another one for somebody just trying to learn the game. You've got to learn icing. Oh, now you got to learn this two line offside pass. It can't cross the red line and the blue line and all that. I mean, goodness gracious, that made it easier. It opened up the game. Sometimes I hear people talking about bringing it back. And I think, why? Just let it go. But at the time, I was one of those, ah, do we need to change this? Just how I am, I guess. As I said, just where I am in life. Where Lester is in life is right here on the Monday Mailbag. Hello, Lester. How are you? How you doing today? All right. Uh, anyway, you know, in, in deference to what he just said, when a goal is negated because the play was offside originally, to me it's similar to baseball when a team bats out of order. And then the other team's manager shrewdly waits till they get a big inning going, three, four runs, then points it out to the umpire and negates the whole inning. Yeah. That's happened. Yeah, that one you might want to have a time limit on. <laughs> you and, know what I mean? Well, well, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, uh, the, the Earl Weaver, the Baltimore Orioles manager, uh, he sat there and waited for the other team. They batted out of order at the start of the inning. They get this big inning going. They got three or four runs in and a couple of men on base. And then he went out and pointed out to the umpire they were batting out of order, and it wiped out the whole inning. Yeah, and, and he was the kind of guy that would probably go out there and pretend like, hey, I didn't see this six batters ago, but you know what they did. But he knew. Yeah. He knew the entire time, for sure. guy like that, he's a, a legend, that guy. All those number of those guys back at that time. Anyway, Lester, what do you got for me? Pose a question to you. Now, just 10 days ago, Daniil Tarasov got destroyed by Seattle. A week ago, Elvis had a very good game against Vancouver. Coming up this weekend, we got a back-to-back -back with those two teams. So do you put Tarasov back out there against Seattle a second time, or do you switch it off knowing Elvis had a really good game against Vancouver? How do you think they'll handle that? I'm not sure how they will handle it, but I think I would uh, 
have Elvis going against Vancouver and for a more simple reason than what you're going with here. If Elvis is going to be your number one and if you're going to run with him as your number one, the number two guy usually gets the crap game, which would be the second game of the back-to-back. And that one is going to be – that's an hour earlier. So the the game in Vancouver starts at 7 o'clock on Saturday and the game in Seattle starts at 6 o'clock on Sunday. So it's not ideal – like, to me, this whole this is where when you had three goalies, this is one of those situations that I think would have benefited you because you could have taken Tarasov completely out of the lineup on Saturday against Vancouver and just had him completely rested for the Sunday game. Now he's got to dress as the backup for Saturday, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I could see Tarasov starting in Seattle. Here's a better question I have, though, to be honest, and I, I've been thinking about this, too. You had Tarasov. They went from, hey, we have to see where he is. We have to see if he can be a number one. We have to see if he can make back-to-back starts. And now all of a sudden, is he supposed to sit for weeks at a time and just get one game here and one game there? That's where I'm confused. I, I'm more like on this trip, I'm wondering more things like, okay, does if Elvis starts tomorrow, does Tarasov get a start in Calgary? And then you come back with Elvis. How are they going to That's – that's where I'm at with that is how do you balance? Because there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of travel during this road trip. This is not easy on a player's body. You very, I I think you can be very justified in playing both goaltenders. You don't have to wait for the back-to-back. So that's what I'm interested to see. But, I mean, you know, here you had him start three games in a row because you have to find out what he is and what he has, and and now we're just going to let him sit for weeks at a time before he makes another start. So, I'm interested to see what the approach is going to be overall with those two guys. Yeah, I'm thinking when the Blue Jackets beat Calgary at home, I, I think Spencer Martin was the goalie that night. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. Um, the second thing I wanted to go on about here, uh, fans, team they seem to get snookered in by trade rumors. And the thing is, the people who post these things on social media, they have no contacts with the team. A lot of them just come out of Canada, places like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Edmonton. And they dream up these whimsical trades. And if you think about them, they're really ridiculous, but they put them out there, and then other people read it and they believe it. If you really think about it, no team, if they've got a trade that they're working on, they're not going to let the details slip on it because some other team could come in and blow it up. Case in point, the Blue Jackets last year could not re-sign Vladislav Gavrikov. So they started to look to trade him, and when they did, they had a situation there where um, they had a deal worked out with Boston where they were going to send Mason um, Gavrikov there to Boston in exchange for Mason Lori and a number one draft pick. That's what they were pushing for, and they really had Boston on the fence over it because Boston didn't want to part with Lori. So that kind of got leaked out there that that's what was going on, and the next thing you know, the next day, Washington s- swoops in, and they offer Boston, Dmitry Orlov, and Garnett Hathaway, and they get the number one draft pick, but they get a three this year and a two next year, and Boston didn't have to part with Lori. So if there's a trade going on somewhere, they're not going to let that kind of a detail slip because it's going to blow the whole thing up. Well, yeah, and I mean, case in point, I think somebody's trying to call you to make a trade right now. Uh, well, they can call me if they want to. I'm not answering the phone. <laughs> um, I think it even uh... – a more recent example is the Cutter Gauthier trade that was made by the Philadelphia Flyers. Like nobody heard a word about that until it happened, right? Right. So that's a kind. Of, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. That's I, a sort of thing you're going to keep the wraps on it. You don't want that sort of thing getting out because somebody can come in and beat your offer. Right. Yeah. Every general manager wants to keep it quiet. There's no no doubt about that. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes it gets out. You know, the agents they like to better positions if they can sometimes and they'll let some things slip or, you know, even somebody within the team, if they feel there's a, a benefit of some getting something more, you know, might let something slip. But for the most part, yeah, they want to keep it as quiet as they possibly can. Yeah. I, like I'm, I'm reading one, somebody out of Toronto, they put a thing out there that the blue Jacks are going to send Boone Jenner to Toronto exchange for Timothy Lilligren and uh, Nick Robertson. Now, most of our fans haven't watched those two players play enough to know much about them. But the person on there is talking about how there are these 
prospects who need a change of scenery. And, and really, to me, talent-wise right now, and where their game is, it's like me like Jake Bean and Emil Bemstrom in exchange for Jenner. I mean, they're just it's not a good trade. And it's very whimsical. Well, if it's coming out of Toronto, you also have to uh, take into account how much they would love to have Boone Jenner on that team because no, they would. that's an element they don't really have. And yeah. he could benefit them tremendously, uh, which, again, brings – I'm not saying the Blue Jackets are going to entertain anything like that before this year's trade deadline. But, man, it's my, I love Boone Jenner, and, and I wonder, you know – is there ever a point where that becomes too tempting based upon where you are and where you're going and what somebody else is willing to give up in order to get that piece for their team? I, and, again, I'm not saying it's right now, and I'm not saying it's next year or anything like that, but that is one asset. As long as he continues to play the way that he is playing, that is always going to be an asset at the trade deadline that you have that people want. Well, and another thing, excuse me, I- a little bit of a cough something popped up, but you and Pascal um, Vincent must have the same. Uh, he illness. he's been doing that for a month. He's been doing that for a month. Yeah, but is. anyway, yeah, I've noticed. Um, but anyway, I mean, you look at the Maple Leafs. Their uh, situation with the salary cap, they've got so many expensive players at the top of it that they've had to fill in with a lot of retreads and and kind of has been players, and you know they've thrown in guys and they're like. Uh, um, Mark Giordano, he, I mean, he's working cheap this year. So is Max Domi. They got a lot of guys like that. They just, they're, they're, they're taught the top of their salary is just so expensive. They can't afford anybody else. That's right. They've put themselves in that spot. And, you know, when you go out and you sign a Nylander for what they did, Matthews and, you know, <laughs> salary cap era is what it is here. So you only have X amount of dollars. And if you're going to give the lion's share to three or four guys, that's what you're going to be left with. So, you know, I'd love well, you, to feel bad you, for them, but I'm not going to. No, I don't either. And Morgan Riley's real expensive too. Yeah. I mean, and, and they were paying Frederick Anderson big money there for a while too before his contract expired. They just have all these expensive players and they're chewing up over 50 million of their cap and they have no room left over to bring anybody decent in. So they look at a guy like Jenner making whatever he's making, 3.25, 3.5 million, and all of a sudden they're sitting there going, well, there's somebody that – we could dump two bodies for and we could afford. So it's not surprising that they would look at it that way. No, it's not. And as I said, he's a, he's a really valuable asset. But like you said, I mean, the two guys that you mentioned to me, yeah, I, there's probably upside there. But they're, it's not like I'm not jumping with excitement as soon as I hear it, right? Well, it's a trade that wouldn't make the Blue Jackets better. Right. Yeah, so why – the ideal trade is one that works for both teams. So right. that would definitely work for Toronto. But as you said, if it's not going to make you better, maybe just hold hold that card for another day. Well, well, one last thing, and I'll get here. You've got a lot of teams. There's at least eight teams right now. I think I counted last night. They don't have their number one draft pick right now. They've already moved it or they've already committed it. And therefore, a lot of the, what the Blue Jackets are going to look for is high-end draft choices. Yep. They're going to win first-rounders, you know. And quite honestly, if a team doesn't have that to offer, like Florida doesn't have theirs this year, Tampa Bay doesn't have one, Pittsburgh, I think, doesn't have one the next two years or something crazy like that. I think they don't have a first or a second this year. They've got like a fourth, a sixth, and a seventh. And their situation isn't good. They're setting themselves up for a rough future. So you're just – there's so many teams that can't do anything because they've already gotten rid of draft picks and got very little in return. Yep, that is absolutely true. And again, though, let's let's be honest about it. What do you? Yeah, Boone Jenner is somebody you have who's very tradable. Go outside of that. What do you have? Like what? Like what? What do you have? What are you going to deal on this team that you might get a first round pick back for right now? Mm, well, the the problem there again, you've got some players who might fetch one like a Goudreau or something, but you're running into salary cap issues because the other team would have to be able to afford them or force you to uh, hold on to salary, which you're probably not going to want to do given the size of their contracts. Right. And, and I mean, so like you have Jack Roslovic, who's on an expiring deal. That would be your normal, okay, deadline guy. Somebody's looking for secondary scoring maybe. But are you getting a first-round pick for him? I would say not. 
Probably not. I, I think people think this is easier than it is because three years ago they went out and they traded Savard and Felino for first-round picks. Yeah, but that – and again, guys that specifically fit a role for playoff teams and they were able to generate – they – I think there they held on long enough and Yarmo was able to play the position long enough to where he finally got what he wanted out of those teams. But again, to your point, outside of Boone Jenner, I don't know. Outside of Boone Jenner and and not talking about the big ticket guys who, again, are much more easily moved in the summer. Who are you going to get a first round pick from that a playoff team is going to want? I don't know. I I, I think it's, to me, it looks like slim pickings. If he's able to pull a rabbit out of the hat, then that's one thing. But just looking at it on the surface, I, I don't see how much potential is there. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I think coming up on the trade deadline, unless they move Roslovic or Peak, I, I don't really see anybody getting traded. I, I think there's just so many teams tied against the cap. I think it would be hard to make a trade. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you on that. I agree with you. Lester, always great to talk to you. Thanks. Yep, have a great week. You too. All right, we go from Lester on to – Troy, who we're going to bring up next as we get ready to wrap up this week's edition of the Blue Jackets Monday Mailbag. Troy, welcome to the show. Oh, where are you, Troy? Says you're here, but I don't hear you. So work on that. Let's I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Uh see if I can Yeah, we're gonna try to add him again. Troy, are you there? No. Oh, there he is. I hear you now. Okay. It's working. There you are. There you are. Yeah, I had to disconnect and come back. That happens sometimes. Okay. Well, welcome back. Thank you for having me on. Sure. I, I love the uh, theme of these questions and uh, listeners that we've had recently, and I want to keep the theme going. There is uh, a few things that I wanted to bring up that I thought would be interesting topics of discussion. One is there's a lot of teams recently, especially because of the salary cap era we're talking about, there's a lot of teams that seem to benefit on what I would like to call buy-low opportunities. So, like, I'll give an example of a couple players that were buy-lows a few years ago and are now blossoming. Like, for instance, Carter Verhage or, like, a Trevor Moore or a Yegor Sharangovich. Like, a pro, like a, a really talented winger that's buried on the third line of a team that was in a similar situation to the Blue Jackets, it almost seems like there's just a clutter of really solid players. And once these teams buy low on these skilled wingers that are buried deep in the lineup, they blossom. And I feel like our team specifically has a lot of those players. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Say, for instance, theoretically, Jack Roslovic was on the Arizona Coyotes playing next to Clayton Keller on the wing. 20 minutes a night, his role was never in question. I wouldn't be shocked if he had 60-plus points if he was in that situation, you know? And I feel like the way that the season's going, there's going to be a lot of teams trying to buy low on our depth forwards because, to be honest, our middle six and bottom six forwards are really good, in my opinion. And... uh the other thing I wanted to bring up. So, so who besides Roslovic are you putting in that conversation? Um, in terms of like a buy low candidate. Yes. Uh, I honestly think Justin Danforth is like a playoff team's third line dream. I, I okay, I agree with you on that one, and I didn't uh, talk about him when I was talking about Boone, but yeah, I he's got another one year. On his contract, the, the Blue Jackets extended him early this season. It's a very low-money contract, and he is a playoff performer. Like, But, again, my question is, what are you going to get for him, and is it going to be worth letting him go you know, just to clear space, or is that the kind of guy that you want in your lineup next year? Yeah, and I agree, and that is – Ultimately, the point that I was trying to make is since we have so many players that we would never get the proper return for one of these buy-low forwards in our depth six, you know? Because it's really hard because since they're not getting top six deployment to advertise them as ones that could perform higher. But I think, obviously, Justin Danforth 
with his style specifically, it's a little bit more obvious that he's attractive to teams that are going to be competing in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I would if I was a playoff team, I would look at him because he can be in my bottom six. Uh, I can put him in my top six if I wanted to. He can take faceoffs. He can do so many different things. But I just don't know what you might get in return for him. I the more I think about it, to be honest with you, Troy, I think that. You know, the trade deadline might be pretty quiet around here, but I think in the summertime, mm-hmm. now, in this depends. It depends if there are changes in the front office or not, but I, I think the summertime is more, I think you, you might see shocking things in the summertime, it, but with the trade deadline being relatively quiet. That, that's, I'm just thinking out loud. Oh, yeah, and I wouldn't be shocked with that either because at the end of the day, a lot of teams are not in a situation similar to the Blue Jackets where we have a full roster and have the option to healthy scratch players. Most teams do not have that luxury. Right. And that is because they are so cap-strapped. The other topic I wanted to bring up is we saw a leadership change in Nashville with Barry Trotz. And, a bun- and he had to make a couple really, really tough decisions when he went over there, one of them being he retained salary on the Ryan Johansson contract for the next couple years and the buyout of Matt Duchesne. And I know that the way that the buyouts work is if you're 26 or older, it's two thirds of it divided by the years left. And if you're younger than 26, it's one third. But I, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm just saying is like a concept. It may like a buyout, it it is a tough pill to swallow, and especially for players that the fans genuinely enjoy. But in the salary cap era, it's so much of players have to outperform their AAV. And like it's not saying that these players that are potential buyout candidates aren't good. It's just the way that the league is now. And since the cap hasn't been going up consistently, it forces tough decisions to be made. Do you think that the Blue Jacks would potentially explore a buyout option like Nashville or a salary retention option as well? Yeah, I think so. In fact, you might have to uh, in certain situations if you can't make a move that you want to. If you have to hold salary to be able to complete a move or if you just can't do anything and you decide that, look, I just can't have this player regardless so yeah I'm I'm sure it'll be considered but I'm sure that it's last resort uh what they want to do because as you said it's it is a bitter pill to swallow and I mean just look at the last guy they bought out was Alexander Wenberg and they bought him out I as a player I'd love it right because I'm going to get two-thirds from you and I can still go sign with somebody else they're going to pay me less and I'm still going to make my money back in some cases I'm going to make more this year than I would have Thanks to that yeah. buyout. And then, you know, and Wenberg, the example, look, it's he's never gonna he's never gonna light the league on fire. All right. But he's yeah. a very serviceable, defensive minded centerman, and he's found himself a home there in Seattle. And I said this when he was here, and I'll say it again. The biggest problem Alexander Wenberg had was he was being paid as a top line center, and he's really a third line center. And had his salary structure had his salary fit within the structure. They would have never had to do that. But because he was just making too much money, you just said it. You've got to outperform your AAV. He wasn't doing it. They were left with uh, the only option was to buy him out. So uh, it is the last option. And you ask, would it be considered? I'm sure it would. But they're going to go through 100 scenarios before they get to that point. Yes, I agree. And one other thing adding on to that is I think, like you said, the point where players have to outperform their AAV these GMs really have to know what they're working with, with their prospects, not just the blue jackets, all teams in general, because say for instance, like I think a lot of people can agree. Like we see the pieces in the forward group that we want to build around here, right? Like Marchenko, Kent Johnson, Adam Fantilli, these, these sorts of guys, we know they want to be here, even Vronkov, because he's a very playoff type player. The way to get ahead in this salary cap era, I mean, it stinks if the front office makes the wrong decision and you're paying a third-line player first-line money. Or, honestly, 
a short bridge deal for these players if they want to gamble on themselves to then get an enormous contract when they're like 26. That's really the only way to get to get ahead. Like I, I feel like their only option is once these contracts expire and things open up in the summer, it's like, how much money can we give the Fantillis, the Johnsons, the Voronkovs, the Marchenkos now? So we're still cap flexible. And when they have these contracts in the back two or three years of a bridge deal or a large contract that they would give them, it's going to be really easy to build around them if they blossom the way that they seem to be. That's why I don't want that job, Troy. It is a very tough job. Everybody thinks it's easy, right? Oh, I would it's do not. this. I would do that. I would I would trade this guy. I would cut this guy and just buy him out. It is uh, it is far from cut and dry on all that. I am I do not envy the job of general managers, especially with the flat cap the last couple of years. Uh, they're finally going to get a little bit of relief this summer with the cap going up. But um, yeah, you're you're absolutely you nailed it on all counts, and that's why I do not want that job. Yeah, in the salary cap era, it seems that there it's very strict parameters and it's black or white to get decisions done. But these players are humans and it really stinks when the business side of it has to take over. You know what I mean? And I, I'm really still optimistic about the future of this team because of the young prospects that we have. But like I, like you just said, Bob, I do not want to be the GM because there's a lot of tough decisions coming. Yeah. Can you keep them all? The answer to that yes. question, honestly, is probably no. So then you've got to figure out which ones are more important and and or which ones are you going to be able to get the most for if you figure they're not part of your future. So uh, that's why, that's why the, the GM job is not a 2023-2024 season job. I mean, it's... <laughs> You're looking ahead years down the road, as you just talked about. So lots of big decisions and lots of money that is going to have to be allocated and who's going to get it and who's not. Yes. Well, they're all going to get it. They're all going to get it. Just who's going to get it from you. That's all. Exactly. Thank you for having me on, Bob. Thanks, Troy. Appreciate it. Good way to close out today's show. The Blue Jackets again getting set to start their five-game road trip with a game tomorrow night in Edmonton. The Oilers, red hot, 13 wins in a row. The Blue Jackets will try to snap their streak tomorrow night. It's a game that gets underway at 9 o'clock Eastern time. So pregame coverage will begin at 8.30 on both the Blue Jackets radio network and on Bally Sports. And then it's on to Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, and St. Louis. That is the five-game trip. That will lead us right into the All-Star break, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's going to be a lot of games it's going to be a lot of miles, or in this case, we're in Canada, a lot of kilometers, but uh, should be a lot of fun as well. And hopefully the Blue Jackets can get it started with a win tomorrow night here in Edmonton. Thank you for your questions. As always, uh, we'll look at next week. i got to look at the travel next week and see when we're going to be able to do this. See if I, I don't know if I can do this in the same time slot, but you'll know well before then when the next edition of the Blue Jackets Monday Mailbag is going to be. Once again, thanks for being here and being a part of it. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.